What an incredible weekend that was. If you're a Baltimore Orioles fan, you just couldn't have asked for anything more. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles swept the Tampa Bay Rays up in Baltimore at Camden Yards. Not only that, we had an exciting extra inning game that uh, was ended with a walk-off single by none other than Pat Vileka. We'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about how rebuilds are not a thing. Uh, and I'm just tired of hearing about it. So if Mike Elias and the rest of the Orioles front office could just stop talking about it, that would be great. Because you know what? We have a great team. We proved that this weekend. Now again, it was a weekend. But you know what? Looking at the roster, and we're going to go through this, kind of taking a look at who's on the roster now, who's in the pipeline, what prospects do we have coming up, we're there. This idea of a rebuild can stop. Rebuilds don't last forever. So quit shipping off our quality players for no-name prospects to be named later. I didn't like it when it happened to Andrew Kashner, and I for sure didn't like to see it when it happened with Richard Blyer. So we're going to talk about that, and you know what? We're also going to talk about if you can't afford to be competitive, sell the damn team. I'm going to go through a list from 2020 all the way back to 2009 and tell you where the Orioles ranked you know, with their payroll spending. Because you know what? If you continue to be last or towards the very bottom of that list, then you have no business owning a Major League Baseball team. I get it. We don't have to be the New York Yankees or the LA Dodgers and have the payrolls the size of those guys do. But you know what? Uh, you need to spend money to be competitive. And if you can't, then sell the damn team. And you know what? I've got some ideas of where to sell the team. Join me for that and others coming up soon. That's right, the Baltimore Orioles swept the Tampa Bay Rays for the first time since 2016. And of course, everybody that's seen any of the broadcast also saw that that was the first time that the Orioles had a sweep of anybody uh, since 2018. So all in all, an incredible performance by the Baltimore Orioles uh, in sweeping the Tampa Bay Rays, who many folks thought would be giving the New York Yankees a run for their money uh, you know, to be the first place division winners of the American League East. So, uh, so let's just give a quick couple minutes to each one of these games. Friday night... Uh, was Alex Cobb facing off against Blake Snell, um, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays uh, ace pitcher. Um, and you know what? This was an incredible performance by, you know, I think an incredible performance by Alex, uh, who pitched so well. He did give up uh, two runs, uh, one in the first, a second one in the third. But you know what? We saw Anthony Santander uh, homer in the fourth uh, and then followed right back behind him in Pedro Severino hitting one over uh, the center field wall as well. Just an all-in-out gutsy performance. Uh, by the Baltimore Orioles and a incredible performance by the bullpen. We saw Paul Fry come in, followed by Sean Armstrong, Tanner Scott, Michael Gibbons, and then closed out by Cole Sulcer. It's actually Paul Fry who comes away with the win, who pitched um, one and two thirds, uh, did give up one run with two strikes, uh, two strikeouts. Uh, but a fun game to watch for the Baltimore Orioles to get that first win in the series. Uh, and then we get the excitement of extra innings uh, that came on Saturday night. Uh, we saw Wade LeBlanc pitch uh, you know, through five innings, actually five and a third. He did give up 
uh, four hits and one earned run. But it was a incredible game. Uh, four to you know, actually it was uh, four to one all the way up until the top of the eighth, where the Tampa Bay Rays did score three, uh, and and that was a bit ugly. And again, I like everybody else on Twitter uh, was nervous as all could be uh, when we saw once again the Orioles bullpen possibly blowing uh, an opportunity for a win here. But you know what? It went into extra innings, uh, and and folklore hero now Pat Valeka. Poking one out into right field, uh, grabbing a nice, reaching out for a nice uh, contact hit against a uh, a nasty slider, and you know what, drove in that extra run, and uh, the Orioles win five to four and eleven. It was incredible. So we had won the series, and again, that was our second series. Uh, the first one being up in Baltimore. So again, this looked really good, and so here we come into you know into Sunday, an afternoon game. Could we actually get this sweep? You know, it was going to be Tommy Malone, uh, who had the, the rough opening day out up in Fenway. Um, but you know what? We came out and, and looked fairly good. Uh, it didn't take long in the third inning. Uh, we got uh, Renato Nunez just a hammer one, just absolutely crushed it uh, to get Baltimore a 1-0 lead. Uh, there wasn't a lot of scoring until the sixth when uh, we, we saw the, the Tampa Bay Rays come back with a homer of their self. Uh, but you know what? Then we continue to see the hot bats of Hanser Alberto, Renato Nunez, uh, Jose Iglesias, who'd been battling a quad injury, came in uh, and, and had a nice RBI, uh, knocking in Renato Nunez off of a, a deep double. And then we had Pat Vileka again come in. Pat Vileka coming in from nowhere. Um, you know, at, you know, following up last night's um, uh, game-winning run, uh, he comes in tonight and uh, hits one over center field. Uh, for a home run, and the uh, the Orioles end up winning five to one. Just uh, an, an incredible three day series. So uh, congrats to the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, and this comes, in my opinion, in spite of the fact of the front office still determined uh, to do everything that they can to uh, to destroy us. Uh, so let's talk about this a little bit. The Baltimore Orioles for the past couple years. Uh, at least the past two years, have talked about, oh, we're, we're, we're moving into a rebuilding phase. Uh, and this was really kind of tick, tipped off once we uh, shipped out Manny Machado to Los Angeles. Uh, we traded away Jonathan Scope. Uh, we started shedding some more pitchers. Uh, Andrew Kashner, Dylan Bundy. Uh, who else did we send out? We sent some guys down to uh, Atlanta, Darren O'Day. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it got ugly fast. Uh, of course, they also jettisoned uh, general manager Buck Showalter. We got rid of the GM, brought in Mike Elias, this rebuilding guru. And, you know, let's talk about that for a second. Um, and what, when did rebuilding become a thing for professional baseball? It's absolutely ridiculous because all it is uh, is a justification for putting a inferior product on the field so that you can, you know, loot, you know, trade or dump anybody that's of value like a Richard Blyer uh, and, and for, for what? A, a player to be named later? You know, some a couple of Venezuelan 13-year-olds? Uh, what are we doing here? Uh, because he, here's the real problem that I have. Uh, it, there's no other sport. You know, unfortunately, you know, in, in addition to being a Baltimore Orioles fan, I also happen to be a Washington football team. 
also known as the Redskins. And you know what? They're a bad football team. But you know what? They're, there's nobody in the front office. You don't see Ron Riviera or anybody else talking about rebuilding. Uh, look, and if, if they do, it's, it's for a very short time. Hey, we're bringing in a new staff. Yet yeah, we might not go to the Super Bowl, but we're going to be competitive. We're not tanking uh, for that first overall draft pick. We're going out there and we're putting the very best players on the team. And maybe that has something to do with a salary cap structure. And I, I know that players are so against a salary cap. But you know what? Maybe for the, the overall health of baseball so that we can stop this ridiculous tanking, maybe that's something that baseball needs to consider. You know, one of the thoughts that I had is, you know, I wonder if Adam Jones would still be playing with the Baltimore Orioles if we had a salary cap. Where, you know what, a lot of these veterans, you know, the fact that Andrew Kashner still doesn't have a contract, still not playing baseball, boggles my mind. Because, you know what, teams are just too damn cheap. And here, and this is what it comes down to. If you can't afford to be competitive, you don't deserve to own a baseball team. Peter Angelos is 91 freaking years old. You know what, in the year of 2020, where we have the prorated salaries... The Baltimore Orioles are spending $23.8 million on their payroll. Now, if you were to blow that out, that would actually be, you know, to a full 162 games, that would be six, you know, just over $64 million, 64 uh, $300,000. So at, at $64 million, you know when the last time it was that the Baltimore Orioles had a payroll this low? You have to go all the way back to 2004 for the first time that the Orioles had a team payroll as low it is right now. We're currently the the 30th ranked uh, you know, payroll uh, in all of Major League Baseball. Of course, that's uh, down two spots from 2019 and 2018, where we're the 28th uh, highest payroll. We had one year, 2017, uh, back when we had you know a, a lot of our, our players, the Adam Jones, the Chris Davis, Mark Trumbo, uh, Wade Miley's. Um, so, so, you know, back before we jettisoned all these guys, we were the eighth ranked, uh, team payroll, but you know what, 2016, uh, through 2013, we were basically, uh, right in the middle at the 15th highest payroll, 2011, 2012, we were 18 and 19, uh, and then 2009, we were 20. So Peter Angelos has kind of put it out there. He doesn't want to spend money. And if you don't want to spend money, why are you owning a baseball team? Because if you can't afford to be competitive, sell the damn team. Now, here's going to be a hot take because I actually don't live in Baltimore. Uh, I, and as great and as gorgeous as Camden Yards is, it's getting close to being 30 years old. How much longer until the city, the team is going to ask the city to, to build a new park or maybe to, you know, uh, you know invest a, a ton of money to uh, revamp it? But at 30 years old, actually, I take that back. It's only 28 years old. But, uh, but it's getting close. I think it's going to be another couple of years before the city really starts, the team really wants to kind of reinvest. We've already heard some kind of inklings about, you know, the, um, the, bat, the batting cages uh, inside the house aren't very nice. You know, there, there's all sorts of things that a couple of the visiting teams uh, typically like to, to comp- you know, nitpick here and there. Everybody agrees. It's one of the most gorgeous parks in all of baseball. But you know what? As a non-Baltimore fan, I don't care where they play. I want to be competitive. And let's talk about that. 
we actually have the players to be competitive. So, so this whole idea that we need you know, to continue down this rebuild path where we have to get you know, one of the top three draft picks, that's crap. I don't believe that one minute, and I'm going to tell you why. Let's take a look at kind of the Baltimore Orioles roster of the future. Be right back. So let's get to it. When is this Orioles team of the future, this rebuilt team that we're waiting for? Well, let's take a look at, 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 you know, at, at the near future. All assumptions are is that Trey Mancini comes back healthy and ready to play ball next year. Presumably, let's also talk about Chris Davis moving on from the Orioles. Um, now, I am a huge Chris Davis fan. I would love to see him come back and play one more year. Uh, but for this exercise, let's just talk about Trey Mancini being our first baseman uh, for next year in the foreseeable future. Trey Mancini is only 28 years old. And as I go through this list of our team of the future, Trey Mancini, uh, as well as maybe one or two others, is the, is the age limit. So everybody else is going to be under the age of 28. Hanser Alberto, at only 27 years old, is going to be our second baseman for the foreseeable future. Now, I'm not going to talk about shortstop right now because as you look at the current roster, I'm not sure if Jose Iglesias is going to be our shortstop of the future. Jose, playing absolutely lights out, would love to see him be an Oriole next year and into the foreseeable future. But uh, you know what? We're going to leave that as a blank slate because as of right now, when you look at the current prospect lists, the only shortstop that we really have on our uh, prospects team is, is Gunnar Henderson. Uh, and he's not really projected to come up until 2023. Now we have one other player that kind of falls into that category, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. Third base, Rio Ruiz, <clears throat> along with Hanser Alberto, has really you know, started to, to you know, carve out a, a niche for himself in being our third baseman of the future. Uh, Rio Ruiz continues to look better, and again, this comes off the cusp of Rio really getting a, uh, an everyday look last year. Look what he was able to do in just kind of one full year of development time at the major league level. I, I continue to see you know, the opportunity for progression because Rio is only 26 years old. Uh, so let's kind of slide him there as our third baseman of the future. Now, whether it's a left fielder or, in the, uh, or as a designated hitter, but everybody seems to agree that Ryan Mountcastle is ready to play now. Now, what happens with Renato Nunez? He's young as well. He could be, you know, I would love to see the Orioles kind of sign him uh, as a long-term, you know, Baltimore Oriole. But my guess is, is that uh, Mike Elias trades him. For what? I have no idea, but I just feel like that's going to be another one of those players that we essentially give away. So who could be our left fielder of the future? It could be, you know, Heston Kerstad. Uh, who the, you know was our second round pick this year. Now again, early projections are is that he probably won't be ready until 2023. Uh, but all indications are he could he could man a left field. Now again, everybody just kind of presumes that Austin Hayes is our center fielder of the future. Now again, we probably jumped the gun a little bit in seeing that Austin Hayes, who had a fantastic September last year, has been struggling uh, at the beginning of this year. But um, for all intents and purposes, let's kind of slot him in there. He could probably be interchangeable with a Cedric Mullins. Both those, both those guys are 25 years old, uh, so we'll see. And, and you know, in addition to uh, Anthony Santander, who is also 25 years old and will probably be our right fielder in the future. 
Now, again, it's pretty easy uh, for us all to kind of agree that Adley Rutschman will be the catcher. Now, whether or not that happens uh, next year, probably next year, I think it'll be next year, but probably won't towards the later half of next year. It all depends on how much development time he gets. But you know what? Pedro Severino is only 27 years old. Uh, I'm really hoping that, that the Orioles sign Pedro to some type of, um, you know, five-year, six-year contract so that he's our number two catcher behind Adley Rutschman, is able to spell Adley every third day or something like that. I think that would be a fantastic combo. So in addition to that kind of starting lineup, uh, let's look at the pitchers that we have. Now, we already have John Means and most likely um, Michael Bauman and Dean Kramer. Now, John is the oldest of those group at 27 years old, uh, but Michael Bauman and Dean Kramer both seem poised to be ready to come up into the organization. They're both 24 years old. And that's in addition to our top two prospects in D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez, who are both 21 and 20 years old, respectively. Now, whether or not they come up in 2021 or they both come up in 2022, uh, we'll see. But, you know, we have a wealth of pitchers that are ready now. Zach Lothar, 24 years old. Dylan Tate, available now. Now, again, he's got that issue that, you know, that comeback that he took off his forearm, you know, hopefully he's not going to need any surgery or anything, you know continued time in the IL, but he's 26 years old. Paul Fry at the very you know top of that age bracket is 28 years old. He's been pitching incredibly well. Travis Lakin seems to have been a steal from the Red Sox organization. He's 26 years old. David Hess, hey, maybe he's not a starting pitcher, but maybe he's one of those long arms out of the pen. He's 27. Evan Phillips looks great. He's 25. Cole Stewart, who just opted out, for legitimate health reasons. The guy has type 1 diabetes, uh, wants to be nowhere near COVID. Hopefully he's back next year when this thing's all blown over and he's back, um, you know, possibly in the starting rotation, but Cole Stewart's only 25 years old. The same with Keegan Aiken, the same with Hunter Harvey, and the same with Miguel Castro. These guys are all 25 years old. You know, let's hope that the Orioles can keep this crew of pitching together. And that's, and you know, while we wait on guys, like Alex Wells, Cody Sedlock, uh, Brennan Hanifi, uh, Kyle Bradish, and Drew Rom. These are all guys that are scheduled to kind of be called up sometime in 2021, mostly, most likely 2022, and the rare uh, exception, 2023. So, th- so that plenty of pitching. Stop giving away guys that we need. Uh, you know, even though you know Michael Gibbons and, and Richard Blyer are you know in, in the uh, above the 28-year-old threshold that I just kind of, you know, picked out at random here. We need those guys. We can win now. We have a good group, you know, and that's in addition to uh, some of the additional, you know, outfielders that we have. DJ Stewart has not been playing great, but you know what? Dwight Smith Jr. has. Play him in left field. He has earned it, definitely earned it over DJ Stewart. I hate this idea that we're only keeping DJ around because he was a former first-round pick. You know, why do we have to give this guy opportunity after opportunity after opportunity? I get that it's a, a crappy situation and he can't go down into to Norfolk and earn it there. But you know what? He needs to be down at Bowie uh, at the summer camp. Ryan Mountcastle needs to come up. And Dwight Smith Jr. needs to be your everyday left fielder. And it's kind of upsetting that that's not happening right now. We also still have, as I mentioned, Cedric Mullins. Ryan McKenna is ready to come up as well. And he's only 23 years old. Uh, And and that's not to mention some of these even younger guys. Uh, Yusniel Diaz, 
uh, who's probably going to come up, if not next year, 2021, he'll for sure be ready. And then, you know, even looking beyond that, we've got, we've got guys like Kyle Stowers um, and a few other folks. Now, granted, our infield depth is not as, as great as our outfield depth, but you know what? Richie Martin looked more than serviceable last year and had an incredible September. Completely unfortunate that he broke his wrist this year. Uh, we also have Stevie Wilkerson, who had the, the um, his ring finger got all mangled up during one of the exhibition games on a completely uh, incredible outfield catch. Uh, but then Pat Vileka is starting to earn a spot on this team. He's playing incredibly well. Uh, and then we also have uh, Adam Hall, very young, 21 years old, but he could be an infielder of the future. Maybe he slots in at shortstop. And you know what? Spend some damn money. This is just the current roster and what we have down in the minors. The Orioles can spend some money, get some free agents to fill some of these gaps. Exactly what we did with Jose Iglesias. Exactly what we did with this year with Pat Vlake on a minor league deal. Continue to find these small little treasures. The guys like Tommy Malone and Wade LeBlanc to fill out a rotation. You know, continue to do that. We don't need to lose more games. We don't need that first, second, or third pick in the draft. We have a good team now. And you know what? If you're not willing to spend the money, sell the damn team. And so let's talk about some places outside of Baltimore that maybe the team could go. Be right back. So as we wrap up today, again, the Orioles coming off an incredible weekend. Let's hope that we have more of those series to come. Uh, incredible pitching from some of the guys that we just had no idea what we're getting when we signed them to minor league contracts in Wade LeBlanc and Tommy Malone. And we continue to see some excellent performances out of the bullpen. Cole Sulcer, Travis Lakins, uh, even Evan Phillips. Uh, so let's hope that these guys continue that trend. I think that the, I think that this team has incredible potential. It's young, but you know what? That does not mean that they're bad. These guys are coming into the prime of their development years. We're seeing that from guys like Rio Ruiz and Hanser Alberto, uh, Anthony Santander, Renato Nunez came alive. So let's continue that streak. You know what? We talked a little bit about how, essentially, in my opinion, the Orioles are, are being too damn cheap. And if you can't afford to pay a baseball team, then you need to move the city. So where? Where could the the Baltimore Orioles possibly relocate. Let's speculate for some fun. You know, there's there's been all sorts of rumors about the team possibly moving to Nashville, that Nashville's really primed for a Major League Baseball team. I really don't understand how they could do just one expansion team and not two. Uh, so with Nashville, who where would be the other city? A lot of folks talk about Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Portland, Oregon is also in the mix. Um, you know, but again, would you have to actually have that across... Um, you know, three leagues, I, who knows? Uh, there's a lot of talk about adding a third team here in Texas. Uh, Austin, Texas, um, you know, being one of the, um, you know, likely candidates. People also talk about San Antonio, uh, that in addition to the Spurs, San Antonio is prime for kind of a second big sports franchise. And then a lot of talk also about El Paso is kind of the dark horse down here in Texas as a possibility to land a team. Now I'm gonna talk about kind of my dream scenario. I would love to see uh, Oklahoma City get a professional baseball team. Oklahoma City and Tulsa, 
uh, are homes to the AAA and AA affiliate of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, quite a few years ago, Oklahoma City um, you know, really put a lot of work and effort to redevelop their downtown Bricktown, uh, as it's known down in Oklahoma City. Uh, and again, a lot of this downtown revitalization um, ended up with the uh, Seattle Sonics moving down to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City now having an NBA franchise, uh, and the Oklahoma City Thunder, and I think have the capability of supporting a professional baseball team. Could that be the Baltimore Orioles? I personally, as a you know Oklahoma native, would love to see that. Uh, and you know what? I think that um, Oklahoma City could do things to make that happen. Um, you know, th there's uh, there's the support for the Oklahoma City Thunder has just been incredibly overwhelming. I think that the city and the entire state uh, would rally around uh, a professional baseball team. As it stands right now, most folks in Oklahoma tend to just cheer for whatever teams in, in Dallas, in that case for baseball, it's the Texas Rangers. And then you'll see some loyalty uh, towards Kansas City with the Kansas City Royals. Occasionally you'll get uh, some folks that are big St. Louis Cardinals fans. I've also seen a lot of folks that are Chicago Cubs fans. But you know what? There's the appetite for baseball. There's great college baseball with both Oklahoma State University and the University of Oklahoma. Uh, and then we also tend to see some, some decent guys come out of the JUCOs throughout Oklahoma as well. Um, I think that Oklahoma City is primed, and I would love to see that happen. Uh, that's all I've got for today. Thanks for joining me, and see you guys next time. Thank you.